Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. But uh, we're glad to have you in the house of the Lord tonight. We're going to, if you can, stand with me for the reading of the word of the Lord. Um, We're having technical difficulties, so just trust with me here for a moment, if you will. I don't know what's going on. But Revelation chapter number 12, if you have a good old thing called a Bible, faithful Bible here, never lets you down if your fingers can do the walking. Amen. Turn to Revelation chapter number 12, and uh, we can look at a few verses of Scripture. Amen there tonight. Revelations 12, starting with verse number 1 tonight. The Bible says, And there appeared a great wonder in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And she being with child cried, travailing in birth, and pained to be delivered that's enough to get us started here tonight let's pray together father i come to you this evening i thank you lord for your love lord jesus tonight god i'm thankful lord for the songs that have been sung lord in this place i pray oh god that you're able to help us you're able to strengthen us lord jesus by your word god bring enlightenment lord and understanding god to our lives lord jesus that we can lord be what we need to be and what we ought to be lord in this generation god touch our guests tonight god as we study this word as well lord we'll give you the praise and the honor for it in jesus name that i pray and everybody say amen amen you may be seated here this evening the lovely name of the Lord. Tonight is part 11a, amen, of Revelation. I would like to entitle this a cast of characters here this evening. Being because there are several characters that are uh, brought into, if we were our cast or if this was a drama, our drama here tonight uh, that the Scripture relays in Revelation 12, uh, we will learn of a woman. Uh, we will learn of a dragon and a child and an angel just right here in chapter number 12. And there will be a few more characters added to our cast and crew, so to speak, as we begin to study Revelation chapter number 13 in weeks to come. This setting that we speak of in Revelation 12 and 1, the setting, the scene is important. It's in heaven, as we've seen from time to time. John has times that he sees visions that uh, pertain to heaven and other times that he sees visions that display or come about on the earth. But in the opening of this particular chapter, there is one verse or one word in the opening verse that proves to be very invaluable to our understanding of Revelation chapter number 12 in this cast of characters, as it were. That word, and I have it emboldened for us, capitalized tonight, that word is wonder that's the word that is used in the King James version of the Bible wonder the reason why this word is so important for you and I in our understanding is because what the King James version uh, translates as wonder in verse number one and you also see it translated wonder in verse number three that word is the word for sign or symbol actually in the Greek text Uh, They translated it wonder for whatever reason, but its actual meaning in the Greek text is sign or symbol. 
Amen. And so with that being said, even the word wonder itself is from the same root word that we get the word signified. And so whenever it says that there was a great wonder in heaven, actually it is there is a great sign in heaven or a great symbol or heaven, or there was something great that was signifying something in heaven. And so right away that helps our understanding because what's going to come about now concerning this woman and the details uh, describing this woman, all of this is something, this is a symbol. It's standing for something. It represents something. It is signifying something. As we all know, a sign, all right, a sign in and of itself uh, it's, it's not indicating something about itself, so to speak. It's not the thing itself. When you see a sign that says uh, Evansville, Indiana, the sign is not Evansville itself, but the sign is directing us maybe to it or giving us information about it. And so the sign here in Scripture, this great sign or symbol, is going to be giving us direction and information, amen, about what it represents. And so the first great wonder, as it's described in the King James Version, version uh, uh, language, the first great wonder or sign that John saw in heaven was a woman. Now, I know what the ladies are thinking right now. There, there it is. There is no greater wonder than a heavenly lady, a heavenly woman. Amen. But that might be just a little bit out of context here this evening. Amen. Uh, whereas usually and up to this time here and there, we usually try to interpret everything in the book of Revelation to the best of our ability in a very literal sense unless something else steers us to do otherwise. And here we are plainly told, though, that the woman is a sign, she is a symbol. And so understanding that the woman is a sign or a symbol, this great wonder, it tells us and directs us and informs us that the real item that is addressed here, amen, is in symbol format. And so this woman is representing someone. She signifies something. We are then not to interpret this woman and all the details concerning this woman we're not to interpret her literally as we would normally follow the, the course of action but she is a sign we're not looking at for a literal woman with sun clothed sun uh, clothed in the sun standing on the moon with 12 stars as a crown up on her head this whole figure then that we start with in the book of revelation 12 must be be looked at figuratively here in the scripture Amen. And so when we speak about this woman, we have in the book of Revelation several females, I'll go with females, that are brought to our attention in the book of Revelation. Back in chapter 2 came this woman that we have heard of before by the name of Jezebel. Now we understand whenever it spoke of her in Revelation, she's already dead, cold in the grave. But there was still a spirit of Jezebel. Uh, she normally was known for being very rebellious against authority. She was very seductive. Many times her seducing was to manipulate and get into the realm of authority. And she had a way of rationalizing sin. So we've been introduced to her as a woman. We'll be introduced to uh, another female figure in Revelation chapter 17, uh, a harlot that sets upon a beast, the Bible says. And we're going to be introduced to her, which will be a symbol of an apostate church or a renegade church a church that has ran away from that which is true and that which is honorable. We will also be introduced in Revelation chapter 19, amen, to the bride, the bride being the bride of Christ. 
Amen. And it's only there in Revelation 19, in the book of Revelation there, that the bride is deemed as the wife of the Lamb. Uh, we, she's also called the wife in Ephesians, but in those two places, the only time you ever see the bride that is described as the wife, the wife of the Lamb. But we are introduced now right here in Revelation 12 to the sun-clothed woman, I guess I shall call her, in chapter number 12 here. And so the, the, the question is, who is who is this sun-clothed woman that is standing on the moon with 12 stars, if you will, as her crown? Now, this is an abbreviated, and I stress the notion, an abbreviated list of who some may scholars think that this woman is a symbol of. Some take this woman to be a symbol of the church. Others take her to be a symbol of Mary, the mother of Jesus. And there are still yet others that believe that she is a symbol of Israel. Now, folks, concerning the idea of this woman perhaps being the church, it may be true, and it is definitely true, that the church is represented as a bride, or if you will, a female, but the church isn't typically spoken of as using the term woman, okay, because woman more or less mostly indicated a married female. Where the Bible mostly described a woman, it, it, it underscored a married female. Furthermore, whenever you see the term wife that uh, is given to the church, as I already mentioned, you only see that in Ephesians 5 and Revelation 19. And the reason why wife is even associated with the bride of Christ in Scripture is because according to their custom and day, whenever an individual, after they've been betrothed to a woman, after betrothal or the engagement as we would call it, the two parties, a man and woman, were legally in the position of a married couple insomuch that if there was any unfaithfulness, it was considered adultery rather than fornication. Amen. And so that's the reason why we have the term wife because we are betrothed, the Bible says, uh, in certain instances, 2 Corinthians 11, 2. Uh, Paul says, for I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy, for I have espoused, which literal interpretation of the Greek is betrothed, I have espoused you or betrothed you to one husband that may present, that, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Uh, Jay Dake said this, he said, Israel is the only company of people in Scripture that is spoken of as a married woman. At least, in, at least this is at least in the truest sense of a married woman or wife, as it may be termed. So if one, again, think of this concept, this woman, if she's supposedly, as some think, the, the, the church, well, we got to look at the rest of the illustration of this woman in Scripture. Because if one accepts this woman as being the church and then later accepts the child or the man-child as being Jesus Christ, then we have a role reversal, if that's the case in Scripture. Because in verse number 5 of Revelation 12, the Bible says, and she, that woman, brought forth a man-child, or applying the symbolism, if you will, that the church, if people believe that, or scholars, some scholars believe that, that the church brought forth or birthed Jesus Christ. Well, that's role reversal. That's backwards. Jesus Christ is the one that birthed the church. The church didn't birth Jesus Christ. Or 
You may consider the second option, if, if you consider a traditional Catholic interpretation, that this woman is Mary. This woman is Mary. Have you ever seen depictions? Has anyone ever seen depictions of Mary, the mother of Jesus, as being clothed with the sun with 12 stars arrayed over her head? Uh, this doesn't show up, but sometimes even depicted as the moon being under her feet. And the reason why is, is because they have taken Revelations 12, the description of the woman there as being Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so they portray her through artwork and depiction with the 12 stars off times above her head. There's usually a glow. Sometimes it's there, the sun, and sometimes the moon that is underneath her feet. Uh, John Walbridge said this. He said, though historically the the nation gave birth to Christ through the Virgin Mary. The implication of verse 2 is that the references are to the suffering of Israel as a nation rather than to the historic birth of Christ. So if the woman is a sign, then those things that pertain directly to her must be signs and symbols as well. In verse 2, it says she is crying and in travail and in pain to be delivered, which is symbolic, amen. Though there was no doubt, I'm sure, for the Virgin Mary, there was pain and travail, maybe even some crying in order to give birth to Jesus. But these things, the woman is symbolic, those things that directly pertain to her then are symbolic so Mary probably no doubt I know experienced those things with the birth of Jesus but again look at the whole concept the story of this woman in Revelations 12 because again later in verse number 6 of Revelations 12 the Bible says the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared of God that they should feed her a thousand two hundred and three score days now we have no record in scripture that Mary the mother of Jesus ever fled to a wilderness was nourished by some people for 1260 days and so there seems to be a breakdown in the idea or concept that this woman is describing or a symbol for Mary the mother of Jesus uh, brother Walls he did some extensive study on this and, and again I, I presented an abbreviated list but he said he surveyed 11 commentaries and the majority of them agreed with the woman being the nation of Israel and the man child being Jesus Christ there were all kinds of schools of thought on this amen but we don't even have time to consider all these but let's consider this woman then the Bible says she's clothed with the sun the moon is under her feet and upon her head a crown of 12 stars. Whenever one starts to read the description of this, you have any, any type of history of uh, reading the Bible uh, continuously, maybe from year to year, and you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all in one setting, there's something that our minds go back to remember, and that is the second dream of Joseph whenever he uh, was hated of his brothers. The Bible says in Genesis 37 and verse 9, this is the occurrence of Joseph's second dream. Remember the first time he, he dreamed of the sheaves that stood up and bowed down to his sheaf. But here his dream has intensified. And the Bible says he dreamed yet another dream and told it his brethren and said, Behold, I have dreamed a dream more. And behold, the sun and the moon. Now note now, and the 11 stars made obedience unto me or they bowed down to me now in joseph's dream that he told to his parents and brethren the son signified his father 
Jacob, Israel. The moon signified his mother, Rachel. And the 11 stars signified his 11 brothers. It was through Jacob, his father, that the nation of Israel really formed its base. It's through Jacob and Rachel and Leah, by the way, that come the 12 tribes or the 12 boys from which the 12 tribes are going to come that makes the very base of the nation of Israel because it was from those 12 boys. The Bible tells us whenever they went into Egypt, there were only 70 souls or 70 people that went into Egypt. They went in virtually as a family, But hundreds of years later, they had multiplied and increased and they exited Egypt as a nation. That's powerful. They entered as a family, but they exit as a nation now with hundreds of thousands of people, amen, to them. And so in in Revelation, the woman has a crown of 12 stars. Joseph has a dream and there's 11 stars but all the brethren are considered a star. You must know that Joseph is likely a star himself. It's just that the 11 and the sun and the moon's bowing down to him. And so whenever the woman is depicted with 12 stars, that's all the 12 boys of Israel or the 12 tribes of Israel, or if you will, the 12 tribes many times stand for the nation of Israel itself and so here it is she is arrayed with the 12 stars now throughout the ages there's something we must understand the nation of Israel has been waiting for the coming of their Messiah they've been waiting amen for a child to be born from if you will the womb of the nation or or, or at least the lineage if you will of Israel they knew that he should be born They knew that he should rule the people. As a matter of fact, the sad point is this. They missed it whenever Jesus Christ came upon the earth because Jesus Christ made some claims of being God and they only believed in one God. They thought he was blaspheming and therefore took him to the cross and killed him for that. But just as Israel, the nation has been waiting for the Messiah or Jesus to be born, there was another one that was waiting for the child to be born as well. And that was the devil, or in our scripture setting here tonight, the dragon. Revelation chapter 12 and verse number 3. The Bible says there appeared another wonder, same word, another sign, another symbol, something else being signified here. And behold, a great red dragon dragon having seven heads and ten horns and seven crowns upon his head. So verse 3 tells us this is another sign. This dragon is another symbol. As a matter of fact, just to just discount who the dragon is, they are so kind to interpret what and who the dragon is later in this same chapter. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He cast out into the earth. His angels were cast out with him. And so we understand very clearly that the dragon is the old serpent, the devil, Satan himself. Without controversy, the dragon is Satan. Uh, It loses the description, if you will, of red. Red is just a modifier of the dragon. It's describing the dragon further. But the rest of the scripture, it just speaks of him as being the dragon, the red dragon. Now let's look at the particulars. He's assigned the symbol, so the things associated with him. 
signify signs or symbols. So let's look at the description of him. He said to have seven heads, ten horns, seven crowns upon his heads. Now these other details are quite interesting. Again, since they relate to the dragon, they must be symbols as well. Now there's something that we must understand. This is not the first time that we have seen these terms, seven heads, and particularly ten horns. We will see this terminology, seven heads and ten horns, again, whenever there is the depiction of the beast in Revelation 13 that comes up out of the sea in the very next chapter that we'll be studying. It has seven heads and ten horns. Amen. But different from the dragon in Revelation 12, the crowns in Revelation 12 are upon the seven heads. In the beast of Revelation 13 that comes out of the sea, the crowns will be on the ten horns. All right? The ten horns. Amen. And we'll look at that further detail in Revelation chapter 13. But we'll also see this seven head, ten horns embolism, if you will, later again in Revelation 17 because the harlot is found sitting upon a scarlet-colored beast, or if you will, a red-colored beast having seven heads and ten horns. Now, we the terminology ten horns we've been introduced to time and time again. I know we're reaching way back right now, but we're going to reach there. That's the reason why we did it to begin with before we ever came to the book of Revelation. But back in the book of Daniel... The fourth beast in Daniel chapter number 7 that, I, that Scripture calls the dreadful and terrible beast, the Bible states in Daniel 7 verse 7, and it states, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, strong exceedingly, and it had great arm teeth that devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the other beasts before it, and it had... Ten horns. Amen. And it is this beast in Daniel 7, the fourth dreadful, terrible beast, that corresponded with something earlier in the book of Daniel. Daniel chapter number 2, where the image that, that, that Daniel seen, the gold and the silver and the brass and the iron and the iron clay mix in the feet. Amen. It corresponds, the fourth beast, the dreadful, terrible beast that has these ten horns, corresponds with the feet-toe part of the image that Daniel saw. Daniel 2.33, he said, his legs of iron, his feet of iron and part clay. So, if you all remember this back when, amen, as the emblem of everything that was seen, we saw this fourth kingdom which was that of the, 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 the legs of iron being the Roman Empire, which was the old Roman Empire, the fourth kingdom. It went through various stages because if you'll remember when it got to the feet, part iron, part clay, feet and toes, that it isn't spoken as another kingdom, but on, almost as an extension of the previous kingdom, like an extension of the Roman Empire. Because remember, the Roman Empire never died so to speak. It only, in a sense, fell apart and became kind of dormant for a season until it will regather and come to force in the last days as a revived Roman Empire who will stamp out, finish out whatever the old 
Roman Empire started because Rome was a strong leader led with a pretty heavy fist. But whatever they didn't accomplish, that revived Roman Empire, remember a confederacy of ten kings or kingdoms that we were uh, just, I say guessing, but trying to line Scripture with Scripture saying a possibility could be the United Nations or the European Union Amen. Being in the last days, this, this United Nation or European Union of ten, we, we talked about how they already have the world divided into ten sections and that there's possibly going to be leaders or kings, as it were, over each of those sections. We're talking about that down in the feed area. That all relates then to that fourth dreadful, terrible beast that has ten horns upon its head. All right, ten horns upon his head. And if you'll remember, if you'll remember, this revived Roman Empire is just going to finish off whatever was started. So there's all the correlations from Daniel 2 to Daniel 7. And now we have this ten horn symbolism again in Revelation chapter number 12. Now we're going to talk about a whole lot more of this next uh, whenever we get into Revelation 13 but just to give you an idea the seven heads with crowns the seven heads with crowns indicate the seven principal rulers or empires in history including the current one during the start of the great tribulation you'll start looking at each of those heads and each of those will be an empire or a kingdom that has been from the history since the time of long ago, amen, leading up to whoever will be in power whenever the great tribulation starts. The ten horns that are indicated in Revelation chapter 12 are indicative of the current empire because that current empire will be a revived Roman empire, a confederacy of ten a confederacy of ten that will rule and have rank and have dominion and power in the world at that day. So it's a revived Roman Empire. And you must remember Daniel chapter 7 and verse 8 told us that concerning these ten horns, there came up among them, among the ten horns or the ten kings or ten kingdoms, another little horn, which we knew back then the little horn was the Antichrist. And so among that last kingdom, the confederacy of ten will come up, the Antichrist will come into play. Really, folks, what you see then is what Satan was described as in Revelation number 12 with symbolism is what he empowers and becomes in Revelation chapter 13 as the beast out of the sea. Amen. So he... If we say it like this, the dragon, it's Satan. It spoke very clearly that it's Satan. But it is also a symbolism for the Roman Empire and the revived Roman Empire because of the ten horn symbolism. And this is all you got to think about. The power behind the empire, the Roman Empire, was the power of the enemy. The power behind the revived Roman Empire will be the devil. Uh, so the dragon doesn't just represent Satan, but it also represents the empire leading up to and including the empire that will be serving in the last days when the Antichrist will rear his head. And so the dragon is waiting on the birth of the child as well. He's waiting on the birth of the child. Amen. Uh, not only that, if you think about it, listen to me. Old, old Roman Empire, revived Roman Empire, Old Roman Empire was waiting on the birth of the child. 
because Herod took measures to take him from this earth shortly after he was born. You hear me? Amen. Well, that was propagated, no doubt, by Satan and the vice of Satan. Amen. But the revived Roman power is even wishing to try to take care or take out the woman, the nation of Israel. All right. Amen. Still trying to take out the nation of Israel. Amen. So the heads and the horns identify him with his representative. The heads and the horns that are seen in Revelation 12 of this dragon of Satan the devil identify him with what will be his representative on the earth, the beast that we'll see come out of the sea in Revelation chapter number 13. What are you saying, Brother McGee? This is what I'm saying. Empires have been nothing more but a vehicle. All right? Empires are nothing more but a vehicle for the force of Satan. He's the driver, but the empires are the vehicle. He's the vehicle by which he can find his way through in and out of governments, society, monetary systems. He has to have a means to do that, and he uses empires in order to accomplish that. And that's how eventually he will control the Antichrist because it's just another vehicle a means, a tool by which he will have his way. And so in the weeks to come, we'll delve a little further into the seven heads and the ten horns symbolism. But for now, just realize that the dragon represents Satan and the empires leading up to and including the empire which the Antichrist will rear his head in. So when we look at Revelation 12, the first few verses of Revelation 12 of that chapter are somewhat historical. They really take us on a journey. They go back in the past and they take a short journey and kind of bring us up to the present time that we're studying about and that is the midpoint of tribulation or if you will the start of the great tribulation. So it takes in a wide panorama of time in just a few phrases. Revelation 12 and verse number 4 the Bible says in his tale still speaking of that dragon drew the third part of the stars of heaven and did cast them to the earth and the dragon stood before the woman which was ready to be delivered for to devour her as soon as it to devour her child as soon as it was born now we have we have you've heard maybe this spoken about before that his tail the dragon's tail drawing the third of the stars is a reference really to his original fall that you can read of in Isaiah 14 his original fall the original fall listen the original fall of Lucifer amen was a fall and not necessarily a final overthrow he did not reside in heaven anymore uh, uh, he still, though, had access to heaven. When Lucifer fell, he didn't reside in heaven anymore, but he still had access to heaven. His residence, as so it would seem, seemed to be the air or the heavens, not the heaven and the abode of God as we think of, but the heavens, distinct from the throne of God. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 2, one of the things that described him, uh, here is it speaking about the church and speaking about uh, the Gentiles coming into the church, where in times past he walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. That's a reference to Satan. That's a reference to the devil. He is the prince and power of the air and the spirit that now worketh and the children of disobedience. So he he was, oh, he was cast out of heaven. Heaven wasn't his residence anymore. It seems to be the air. He's the prince and power now of the air, but he still had access to heaven because as early as in the book of Job, and Job is the earliest writing of all the scriptures in Job, he still has access in heaven because the Bible says in Job in 1.6, whenever uh, Job is on the verge of being tried, tried, that now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And look what happened. And Satan came also among them. 
So he wasn't, he wasn't disallowed access. He still had access, amen, to the heavenlies, although he was cast out of heaven. It wasn't like a final over, overthrow, and now there, you have no access at all to heaven. As a matter of fact, the Bible says he, his tail took a third of the stars, meaning a third of the angels. And who knows how many angels there really are created. Whenever we start looking at the numbers of the locusts, that could have been spirits, and even the horses and horsemen, the number is just way out there. So who knows what really a third, what that number is, amen, of the angels that was taken. Nevertheless, it's a third. <laughs> it's 33% of whatever that may be. But whenever you think about that, that means there's two-thirds that are still good in heaven. When you consider the ratio, there's two good angels to every one bad one. If that ever, they ever get any comfort for any believer tonight, I want you to understand you got two good working for every bad that's working against you. The odds are in our favor. favor. Additionally, as a warning, and I quote Irvin Baxter on this, but he said this. He said, if the devil could deceive an angel, then he could deceive anyone who is not centered on the truth. Wow. That he could pull a third of the angels with him. If, that, if he can do that to an angel, then... Any of us are subject to deception if we're not staying in line and our minds in tune with the Lord. And so this dragon, the devil, awaits for before the woman, stands before the woman, waits for the baby to be delivered because he wants, the Bible says, to devour it. Now, again, notably, up until this time, the woman, according to verse number two, has been crying. She has been travailing. She has been in pain because of this child that is going to be born. And what are you saying, Brother McGee? The pain, the travail, all of that? Yes, there was a literal part of that with Mary, but it's symbolical because it's, it's attached to a symbol, this woman. And so the pain, the travail, all this agony is symbolic as well. Satan has tried through the ages to prevent the child Jesus from being born. After his birth, yes, he wanted to destroy him and devour him, but before he ever entered through flesh and blood, he wanted to prevent that from ever taking place and happening. He wanted to eradicate him from existence before he ever had an existence. The Bible says in Genesis 3.15, speaking of the curses that took place in the garden, and I will put enmity between thee, speaking of the serpent, and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. There are two things the devil has been after. The woman, which is the nation of Israel, all right? Symbolically, that is. And her seed, Jesus Christ. Two things. So Christ has already come. He couldn't prevent him from coming. He came. He couldn't kill him while he was there, although it looked like he did, but he didn't get the victory. He didn't get that accomplished. The only thing that is left is for him to still antagonize the nation of Israel. And it's still happening still today. So he tried to prevent. Listen to me, folks. I just want to go just through a few things real quick. But he tried to prevent the birth of Jesus Christ. From the very beginning in the very first family, when it removed upon the heart and mind of Cain, when there was no precedent set for murder ever upon the world yet, you listening to me? 
There was no precedent for murder, yet Cain murdered his brother Abel. That was already a divisive way of trying to prevent uh, down the lineage the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as a babe in Bethlehem. If that's not enough, there was such a turmoil in mankind. They were evil continually in the sight of God. There was going to then have to be a destruction of mankind of Genesis 8 and 9, amen, and going to destroy all of mankind because they're only evil continually but God left him a remnant through the family of Noah he and his family the eight that were saved on the ark what was that trying to do away with the possibility of a Christ child being born but there was a remnant that was left father of the Jews we know him to be Abraham what's going on he marries a wife by the name of Sarah and she's barren this is the father of the Jews well We'll, we'll keep anything from being offspring or there being any future Christ that has a legacy back through the Jewish ages. We'll make you children. We'll, we'll allow them to be barren. Amen. But we understand that her womb was open. Isaac was born. What happens? Isaac is posed as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. He's the promised seed. He's the only descendant. But guess what? God spared all of that and provided himself a lamb. And so he's still marching onward. Rebecca took a wife. Isaac took a wife by the name of Rebecca. What's her problem? She's barren as well. She can't have children, but it kept marching on. Isaac prayed to God concerning the barrenness, and all of a sudden she was able to have children, and she had twins, Esau and Jacob. But the Bible says there was enmity between Esau and Jacob. Do you think that perhaps the adversary was hoping he would have a similar Cain and Abel experience, that one would take the other's life because they even spoke of killing each other. Esau was inflamed with anger. Jacob was afraid to come back home because his brother might kill him no 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 they found favor in each other's sight it was spared why because there's going to be a baby born there's going to be a baby born what Pharaoh's attempt there arose a new Pharaoh over Egypt over Egypt that knew not Joseph and there went out a decree all the male children are to be slaughtered they're to be thrown in the river Nile and so child after child's being thrown in the Nile until God moves on the hearts of two midwives and they say you know what we can't be doing this and there's Moses his mother has compassion on him seeing that he's a goodly child amen and she makes a basket of bulrushes put him in the river and because Moses was spared the lineage march on there's going to be a baby born someone say amen King Jehoshaphat's son Jehoram his son Jehoshaphat's son Jehoram slew all his brethren everybody else he was the only one left and thank goodness he had kids or the lineage would have stopped but it marched on the Arabians then came. Listen to me. This is all in your Bible. The Arabians then came and slew all of Jehoram's children except one, the youngest, Ahaziah. Guess what? Ahaziah had some kids. So the lineage marched on. Oh, someone hear me right now. There was an evil queen by the name of Athaliah. She was Ahaziah's mom. She slew all of the kids. All of his kids after Uzziah's death, or she thought she had. If she'd slain all the kids like she thought she'd had, the lineage for the Christ child would have been stopped right there. But the aunt to a son to that boy called Joash, an aunt of him, stole that baby at that time away, hid him in the house of God for six years. 
For six years, the lineage was in just an infant boy that was being hid in the house of God. Satan was trying to prevent Christ from coming, but it's going to march on. The lineage was still going to come. The messianic line got down to one fragile child, one person away from being extinct. All the promises of God, one person away from not being fulfilled. But he says, there's going to be a child born to you in Bethlehem, and you shall call his name Jesus. In the book of Esther, Haman puts out a request to attempt to wipe out all the Jews. Didn't happen. Couldn't happen. The gallows he had made ended up being his own gallows. Folks, that's just to mention a snapshot of the ways that things were trying to be prevented from Christ's coming. Not to mention all the various captivities and the hardships along the way. Woo! Remember now this woman that she's a symbol She's clothed, the Bible says, or if I may, sheltered. She's sheltered by the sun. Tony Garland said this, and standing or supported by the moon. Her position is sure. She's clothed or sheltered. Clothing is that for us. It's shelter, it's a covering, so on and so forth, by the sun. And she's standing, or if you will, supported by the moon. Now, there's a scripture I wish to introduce here. Jeremiah 31 and verse 35 Thus saith the Lord. Note some of the phraseology as we go along here. I have stuff underlined for a reason. That's not by accident. Thus saith the Lord, which giveth the sun for light by day, and the ordinances, in other words, in addition to the sun, the sun's one of them, but in addition, the ordinances of the moon and the stars for light by night, which divideth the sea when the waves thereof roar. The Lord of hosts is his name. Now look at verse number 36. If those ordinances, what? The stars, the moon, the sun. If those ordinances depart from before me, God says, saith the Lord, then the seed of Israel also shall cease from being a nation before, before me forever. And I like the way that Tony Garland said it, so instead of trying to make it in my own words, I just let him speak for us. And You might not be able to see that. I know that's a little smaller. He said, let the reader and the nations of the world take note. The Jews will continue as a people as long as the sun, moon remain visible in the sky. He said, if the enemies of Israel understood the full impact of this verse, they would immediately reprogram their missiles for a new target. They must first take out the sun, moon, before they will be able to wipe out the physical seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Because that's what God said. The ordinances of the sun, moon, and stars, as long as they're in existence, he says, I'll have a people. You disperse them, and they've been dispersed. You persecute them, they've been persecuted. You put them through a holocaust, and they've been through several. Put them through six-day wars, and ostracize them from their nation. And they always come out, still a nation, still people, separated, set apart, distinct, and classified as gods. So the woman here, she is clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet and she has the stars what her position is sure because those things are existence Israel will remain in existence so Israel the woman had pain the, the Israel the woman had pain and travail to be delivered and once delivered the dragon still wants to devour the child he's tried to prevent it up to the time of delivery but he still wants to devour the child why as I've already made mention Herod Remember, the wise men came to Herod and said, where is this king of the Jews that they speak of? Well, he's in Bethlehem. Said, well, we have seen his star. 
Amen. And so they go to visit the babe, or however long it takes for them to get there. But the Bible says, because Herod said, whenever you get there and you know this is true and everything, you send me word back concerning all this. Well, it came to a dream to them and explanation that they should not give any feedback to Herod and that they should depart another way. And the Bible also says that it came to a dream by Joseph that night that he should take Mary and his child down to Egypt, which, lo and behold, fulfills another Old Testament prophecy that said, my son shall come out of Egypt. And so they went down in Egypt, and it was during that time whenever Herod understood that he had been fooled by the wise men, and he counted how much time had been since they seen the star, which evidently had been somewhere around two years, that he has all of the children over there in Bethlehem that are two years old and younger to be slaughtered. What's going on? The man-child has been born, but he's still trying to be devoured by Herod, who at that time was a Roman governor. In other words, Herod derived his power from Rome, which ruled the world at the time, which the revived Roman Empire will rule the world at the time of the Antichrist. So not only that, we have Satan tempting the Lord, telling him to cast yourself down from a pinnacle of a temple. There are other times that people attempted to throw him over the brow of a hill. Uh huh. He was subjected to a, more than a few storms on the seas. Is someone listening to me? And ultimately, he was crucified on Calvary. And they thought, out of all this time from the beginning of time, we finally got this done. But that even didn't do it. If you'll stand with me tonight. Said, Brother McGee, we're the church. I know Israel has their persecution, and Christ has had his persecution. Let me tell you. Part and parcel, some of the persecution that the church goes through in some respects is as a result of being drafted in to that olive tree where the wild branch that was drafted in. And as that declares in our lives spiritual blessings, it also brings some of the other aspects of some of the persecutions, amen, of being a spiritual Israel. But let me tell you, the church is going to survive too. Christ, he said... He said, they said, Lord, he said, you, you through much tribulation went into the kingdom of God. He says, in this, in this life or in this world, you'll have tribulation. He said, but be of good cheer. He said, because I have overcome the world. Again, whenever he was going to build the foundation of his church, he told him that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Israel's going to survive. No one, get, no one gets shook up. Uh, there's times that in our news and across the lands there are crosshairs on Israel and they are an enemy to a lot of people but let me tell you they're going to survive because the sun and the moon and the stars are still exactly where they need to be their position is sure they weren't I already gave you a great survey of Old Testament scripture where they couldn't take out Christ before he ever came and they didn't get accomplished after he came let me tell you everything's going to be just fine the church I'm not worried about the church in these last hours prior to a rapture I'm not nervous about that the church is going to be all right amen the Lord knows the Bible says that on this the foundation of God standeth sure that this seal that the Lord knoweth those that are his he does whether they be Israel whether they be the church whatever the classification may be the Lord knows those that are his amen he's going to watch over them and out for them and take care of them as long as they are reciprocating that in the relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ amen come back next week thank you for listening if you would like more information about our services and activities you can find us on Facebook Instagram and Twitter with the username FACMC again that's FACMC 
Thank you and have a blessed day.